Welcome to Healing with the Masters. We are so delighted that you've chosen to hang out with us for this series of speakers, inspirational wisdom, powerful affirmations, invocations, activations, prayer, and healing. Healing with the Masters represents transformation to ignite your light and to show you a framework of possibility for moving into a new way of being in your life, modeling that for others in your life, and changing the whole planet. Enjoy this powerful series. Now, if you're interested in joining us live, then just go to hwtmpodcast.com. That stands for Healing with the Masters, hwtmpodcast.com. Register there for the current season. And did I mention? It's free. Join us absolutely free. You just have to register. But for now, enjoy these shows because they created the most amount of transformation. They created the most amount of buzz, insights, and miracles of possibility. These are just as powerful as the day they were recorded. The vibration and energies are still present and available for you. And if you're listening to them, it's because you're ready right now. Know that you helped to create this content. Your desires and intentions have brought this very broadcast here before you. So listen, engage, and enjoy. And again, if you'd like to join us in our live season, remember to go to hwtmpodcast.com. You just have to register. Join us, experience the light, absolutely free. Now enjoy this show. Welcome everyone to Healing with the Masters, and I want to welcome you to this powerful 13th volume of this, uh, this series. You know, this 2014 set of seasons is unique in that it's our second year of the Aquarian Age, and this is a year of let's get her done. <laughs> this is our soul group opportunity to commit to our journeys, engage in our lives, and in the process, and together, make a difference on this planet. We are delighted that you've chosen to hang out with us this season, and I want to remind you that you are beckoning forth all of the content on this and every show of this season of Healing with the Masters. Your intentions have brought forth this very moment, so everything is here for you. That's what's so powerful about our Healing with the Masters community. You create the content through your intentions. I also want to remind you that the healing part of our name means transformation. It means realignment. It means repatterning. It means you are on a pathway to change it all. And we are so excited at what you're about to create. Now, you may think that the masters are the remarkable speakers that we bring on each week, but we know that you are actually the master that you are seeking. All of the answers are within you, and the master teachers you're hearing on this series are giving you nudges and hints as to who you truly are, that bright, sparkling being of light and love that you are. Now today, I am so blessed and honored to welcome just one of the most amazing, vibrant, intelligent, and deep teachers around on this planet right now. This woman can talk on just about any topic, and we are delighted to welcome Marsha Weeder to our series today. Marsha is the CEO and founder of Dream University, 
With over 20 years of writing, coaching, training, and speaking experience, her inspiring message has touched audiences from 50 to 5,000 5, at companies such as AT&T, The Gap, and American Express. Whether teaching at Stanford Business School, speaking to executives in China, or addressing young women at Girl Scout camps, her riveting style impacts audiences worldwide. At the top of this year, she was actually selected nationwide as the top five speaker by speaker platform. And let me tell you, if you've, ever, if you've not heard her speak, holy jump it, you want to. <laughs> Tears are always there as well as inspiration. She's appeared several times on Oprah and the Today Show and in her own PBS uh, TV special. Marsha has shared her message with millions of people. She's a best-selling author who has written 14 books dedicated to achieving your dreams. Her most recent Succeeding in Spite of Everything has made number one on Amazon in 10 categories. As the past president of the National Association of Women Business Owners, she was often in the White House, where she met and assisted three former U.S. presidents, Ronald Reagan, Jimmy Carter, and George Bush Sr. She was also able to further spread her passion for dreaming as a columnist for the San Francisco Chronicle, where she urged readers to take the Great Dream Challenge, and she is currently a columnist for the Huffington Post. Her dream coach process is currently taught in battered women's shelters, in prisons, in schools, and corporations throughout what she calls the dream movement. Her work is restoring dignity, clarity, courage, and confidence. Now, that's, that's a bit of a long bio, but I wanted you guys to really get this amazing woman and how the amazing accomplishments. And she was 10 when she worked with Ronald Reagan. Um, but seriously, I mean, you were really young when you, when you, you achieved success so young. And, and I know that you've yeah, been I used, on... to, I used to say that I'm, I'm the youngest at everything, and suddenly I blinked, and now I'm the oldest. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? So, you know, Marsha, dreams. You know, it's, uh, I think sometimes we've gotten confused um, on what dreams are. Like, when I hear about dreams, I kind of dismiss it a little bit. And I think, mm-hmm. okay, I, j- I just wanted to hold an intention and make something happen. But um, as I've heard you talk and I've read your materials and watched you, um, I see that dream- dreams has a different connotation. It's not Wolf of Ra- Wall Street that you're talking about. So tell me, what, what is, uh, from your perspective, what is a dream? Yes, oh, I lo- and, th- and thank you for having me on in lucky number 13. I'm honored to be here, and thanks <laughs> to everyone who's taking the time to listen, and I'm so delighted we get to spend this time together talking about uh, these really heartfelt and, and deep, meaningful, and important concepts. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, the It's an interesting thing. Some people use the word intention and dreams interchangeably, but, you know, words and language we know are very, very important, and... Part of the mission that I have is to change exactly what you just said, to change the context and the definition. So instead of it being, gee, maybe someday when the kids are gone or I have extra money, instead I want to help people get clear about what they really do and don't want and take action to make the dreams a reality because the difference between a dream and a fantasy like winning the lottery or even what you talked about, the Wolf of Wall Street, that whole kind of fantasy life and lifestyle, is that in a dream you can design a strategy for getting there. In a fantasy like winning the lottery, there's nothing you can really do to make it happen. You can do lots of praying and hoping and buying a lot of tickets, but it's out of your control. 
And what I teach about dreaming is it really is about, I call it the CBAs, getting clear about what you do and don't want, believing in yourself and your dreams, and proving that you really uh, believe in your dreams by taking action on them. But let, let me just say this important distinction. If we never turn the dream into a project and a plan and a strategy, it remains a fantasy or a nice idea. However, if we go to strategy too quickly in the dreaming process, what many of us wind up doing is compromising the dreams down to what you realistically think is possible and typically based on how much money you have in your checking account. So the idea of uh, becoming more of a, a visionary and, a, and having greater capacity to dream and achieve and accomplish those personal and professional dreams starts by your willingness and your ability to get comfortable with uncertainty, to open up to bigger, vaster, or more vast realms, to not quickly go to, well, how am I going to make this happen? Uh, you know, the, the realist inside of us wants to know where you're going to get the time and where you're going to get the money. But in the early phases of a dream or on a big dream or even on a long-term dream, you may not have it all figured figured out. So I would say the difference between a dream and a fantasy is you can design a strategy, but let's be mindful that we don't use strategy too soon in the process to minimize what it is that we truly want. Mm, beautiful. And, you know, I've, I've witnessed um, individuals who uh, have this dream and they get confused between what you're just saying, the dream and the action, and they all of a sudden they're creating these crazy things, using up all of their savings. I mean, I've, I've noticed a couple of them, you know, have actually gone homeless because they, they just, they got confused as to what a dream is. So, so what, what's happening with those folks that are just kind of, they go straight from, uh, I have a dream to, <laughs> to execution. execution and creating execution. something that doesn't make sense. So it's such a great question. I can't believe it. I don't think I've ever been asked it so clearly. So it, thank you. It's a really important question because I see it too. I mean, people come to my home. They hire me one-on-one -on -one to work with them. They walk in and, you know, they want to be a speaker or an author or, some, you know, some kind of a, an infopreneur. And, you know, they're all focused on the sexy name for their talk or the sexy name for their book, <laughs> right. without at first doing the work of who are you, what is your purpose, what is your mission, what is your calling, what makes you uniquely you. So they either all, you know, I, I have, I've been saying lately I'm jaded about jargon because, you know, so many people are skipping over the critical steps. So here's the best way I think I can answer this. We have different parts and different aspects of ourselves. Most of us are pretty aware of that. But in the context of my work, we have a dreamer that says, yes, I can. We have the visionary that doesn't even care about strategy. They're just all about, let's do it. Let somebody, let somebody else figure out the strategy. Uh, and we also have a, a, um, a realist, and we have a doubter voice, right? And the, the relationship between the dreamer and the doubter voice is very, very important. So first of all, people think that the doubter voice is the enemy, and it's not. If you ignore the voice of the doubter, which also is the voice of prudence, if you ignore the voice of the doubter, it either gets so loud that's all you can hear. So many people have a knee-jerk reaction. They overcompensate and they steamroller over that part of themselves. 
or the voice, because you've denied it or ignored it, has gotten so quiet that it can unconsciously sabotage your dream, having you make, you know, not really sound choices and decisions. So if we turn the voice of the doubter down, it becomes the realist. And as I said, the realist wants to know what the plan is. So having a well-developed doubter and realist in the appropriate places, like use them as team members, but you don't want to necessarily use your realist when you're in the imagination, creating, dreaming phase. When you're asking questions like, if time and money were not issues, if you had the support of the people around you, if you knew you could not fail, what would you do? Where would you go? What would you create? You know, as we start to open to the dreamer place, that's when we want to have the realist in the witness mode, like just have it off to the side. But then when you start to really write out what the dream looks like and then you start to take the dream and break it down into projects and strategies, this is the critical time to call in the realist to identify what are the actual steps in what particular sequence, who are the people that can help me, what is it I need to say to them, what are the specific requests. So I think people get everything all mushed together. And I just want to say a little bit more about this doubter piece because it's a really big piece. So if you, have, if you have not dealt, well, let me say it this way. The number one way that we sabotage our dreams is we project our doubt and fear into the dream. We do it with three little words, but what if? But what if I go for it and I fail? But what if I really don't have the right uh, resources? But what if I don't really know what I'm doing? But what if my family you know, threatens to leave me. And if it, with that model, every time we're moving toward the dream, we're also moving toward our doubts and our fears and our worst nightmares. So we want to separate out the dreamer is what we just talked about. Yes, I can, and here's what's possible, and I'm not going to worry about strategy yet. The doubter will give you your list of obstacles, all the reasons why your dream is a bad idea. Now, at a simple level, we, you know, wherever there's an obstacle, we can design a strategy to manage it. All obstacles are either internal jobs, limiting beliefs, something you believe about yourself, the world, or your dream, or an external obstacle that requires a strategy or a plan, and you darn well want to have your realist on board to help manage what that's going to look like. And here's what I realized, that if you have not dealt with your own doubt and you meet another doubter on the road, their doubt will magnify yours. But if you've dealt with your own doubt and you meet another doubter on the road, by contrast, it becomes the opportunity to deepen your commitment and your conviction to your dream. So people often say, well, I, I shouldn't share my dreams with those people because they might shoot my dream down or steal my dream. It is true there are dream stealers and stompers and killers, but I would rather you really develop the capacity to talk to anyone, anytime about your dream or vision in a way that inspires them to join you as opposed to you compromising, cutting back on, editing out that you can't share your dream with that person because they remind you of your mother, etc., etc. So the short answer that I went off on nine tangents about <laughs> the short answer is you want to be um, you want to be have your intention and in, uh, integrity in alignment. Um, in the home study course that I put together, we 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 talk about intention is the first principle. It steers the rudder of your of your life. But many people don't pay attention to integrity, so they'll say one thing and they'll do another, or they'll say one thing and they won't do anything, 
or what you said. They'll say they're going to do something, and they'll go kind of unconscious, and they'll try to just do it all. And uh, nothing activates the voice of the doubter more or faster than saying you're going to do something and not doing it. So I think the, you know, the short answer is having a level of consciousness, being aware of which part of yourself you're in. You want to be in the visionary and dreamer place while you're opening to possibility. But when it's time to start moving into projects and practices and action steps and building your dream team, you want to be realistic and reasonable about it. Um, and it's a very it's a very tricky thing. I think people get so passionate about what they're doing that they just they lose their center and they just kind of get swept completely away into the dreaming part, which is what gives dreaming a bad name. You know, it, this is not about fantasizing. This is about getting in touch with who you are, why you're here, what's really important to you, and then putting your life in right relationship through integrity to act on what's true for you at a heart and soul level. Wow, that is one of the most articulate and and yet shortest <laughs> um, <laughs> plowing through answers I, I've ever heard. That is so cool. Um, I was thinking that maybe you could tell us a little bit about Bessie's story to give us a kind of an example of this. I love that you know to ask me about Bessie. That's so cool. Okay, so first of all, I have been doing this work for three decades. It is an amazing thing. It is true. I started when I was in my early 20s. I was blessed at an early age to know what my purpose was, um, and I discovered that by doing volunteer work for the Make-A-Wish Foundation. So now I have four different ways to help people discover their purpose. Um, uh, so that's, that's a very exciting thing. But we brought up Bessie, and Bessie was very early on in my career. We were actually filming for my PBS special, and she called out of the blue to tell me how my book had impacted her. So I met Bessie. And here's, let's, let me see, I haven't told the story in such a long time. Let me see if I can do it succinctly. So at 70 years old, Bessie decided that she wanted to become a world-class professional photographer. And I joked with her. I said, how do you define professional? And she says, money. <laughs> <laughs> because I want to get paid. She'd been an amateur for 25 years, and she loved it. So, But when she shared with her friends and her family and her peers that she wanted to become this professional, world-class photographer, uh, they scoffed at her. They basically said, um, you know, be realistic. We hear that a lot. And they told her she was too old. And I, you know, and I said to her, Bessie, I said, you know, what do you feel in your heart? At first she gave me the story. She said, she goes, well, I, you know, she kind of went hemmed and hawed. You know, I said, you know, what's stopping you? And she said, well, you know, I think I need credentials and I don't want to go back to school. And, you know, and I said, when I said to her, what's really stopping you? She said, everybody around me is telling me it's a bad idea. And I said, well, that's nonsense. I'm not going to tell you that. What's a step that you could take to demonstrate that you're more committed to your dream?" than to their doubt and fear. Beautiful. She thought about it. And I remember the moment. You know, most of us are walking around with little pilot lights in our eyes. But when you connect to, some, to something or you see somebody else connect to something that they love, that they're passionate about, that's meaningful to them, it's like dragon's breath. You know, she's like, jump. I know what I can do. I know what I can do. She said, I had this. And she's you know, 70 years old. She's jumping around. It's just so precious. She said um, that she, uh, let's say, she had an application in her inbox for a Kodak competition 
and she was thinking about entering it, but she noticed that it had been sitting there for a couple of weeks. So she looked at me. So you know, I, I wound up meeting her. So when I say I looked in her eyes, I actually brought her in for the PBS special. So I got to hear the story with looking in her beautiful face and seeing her relive the entire thing. Um, so she said to me that, you know, by gosh, by golly, I think she said, I'm going to enter this Kodak competition. So she took a photograph of a man playing a sousaphone with beautiful red and golden tones reflected in the instrument. Uh, P.S. happened to be the Kodak colors at the time, the gold and the red. <laughs> yes. <laughs> she, she sends it off to Kodak with 500,000 other entrants. Wow. She won first prize. Oh, my she gosh. She won 10, I love it. She won $10,000. You know, I, I said to her, Bessie, I said, what are you going to do with that money? She said, I'm going to go get business cards printed to show people I'm a professional. <laughs> <laughs> she got money, baby. <laughs> so, you know, I'm making money. You know, her photograph toured around the world with the Journey into Imagination exhibit wow. by Kodak. And I said to her, Bessie, what would you share with us? It's like, you got the whole dream. And she looked me square in the eye, and I will never forget these words. She said, it's never too late to make a dream come true. <laughs> you know, and, and what I would add to Bessie's wisdom to any of us listening is that, you know, it's, it's like, first of all, uh, you, you never know when the end is going to come. Yeah. Like, you know, are you living your life with your foot on the, on the brake? You know, it's never too late to make a dream come true, you know. And the secret to living a joyful, fulfilling life is to do more of what you love every day. So, the, you know, for many of us, we're so busy and we complain that, you know, women say, isn't it selfish? You know, not only is it not selfish, not not selfish, but it's an, uh, an act of generosity because connected to your passion and dreams, you're going to live longer. You're going to have more energy. Dr. Mehmet Oz told me about something called apoptosis, that when your brain believes you've outgrown your usefulness, which can happen at any age. We see it most often when people get laid off, retire, experience an empty nest, or when you stop dreaming. The brain sends a message to the body that it's no longer needed. and People start to mentally or physically self-destruct. So the cure to this, the antidote, is passion and dreams. As you connect to what you love, to what matters to you, as you have the courage to say no more or no thank you to what's no longer true, to the things that you're complaining about, to the things that are sucking the life out of you, to the things that are out of integrity with your own soul. As you say no more, you can say now what and schedule more things into your life that you love. And I think Bessie is a great example that, you know, it's never too late to pursue your dreams. And what are you waiting for? Because the truth of it is we never know when the end will come, and it will come too soon. So if you're out there and you've got lingering dreams, those maybe someday dreams, I encourage you either to do them or to dump them. Remember, nothing activates the doubter more than saying you're going to do something year in, year out, year in, year out. It's on your to-do list or your dream list. Either decide you're going to do it or dump it and make room for something new. So what, what do we say to, I, I can hear my audience saying, you know, it's easy for you, Marsha, you're, you know, brilliant, you've done it a million times, and, and um, but, you know, you don't know my circumstances, you don't know that I've got this, and I've got that, and, and you know, story, 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 and, um, I, I, you know, I can't possibly achieve my dreams. What do you say to those Okay, folks? well, so first, let's start with a meaningful story. We just talked about Bessie. Let me tell you my favorite story. Okay. I was giving a talk in Portland, Oregon, and you guys who have your obstacles and issues, concerns around money and time and beliefs and attitudes, 
just listen to the story for a moment. I was giving a talk in Portland, Oregon. I was packing up my materials, and this young man, very tall, dark-skinned, came up to me, and he said, thank you for your talk today. I'm a long way from home, and it really touched my heart. And I looked at him, beautiful man, and I said, a young man, and I said, oh, you're a traveler. I travel a lot, too. And he said, well, this might be a little different because this is the first Sunday of my life that I've ever been away from my tribe. I stopped dead in my tracks. You know, what? Your tribe? Who are you? Where are you from? He said, well, I'm from Kenya, Africa, and I'm part of the Maasai warrior tribe. And I said, well, what are you doing in Portland, Oregon? He said, when I was very young, I became ill. My mother took me to a medical clinic many, many kilometers away from where we lived. And from that day forward, my dream was to become a doctor. He said, but it was impossible. There was no training available, and you didn't leave the tribe. It just wasn't done. He said, I kept my dream alive. I shared it with everyone. Everyone, especially my own family, rolled their eyes at me and told me that it was a fantasy and to forget about it. But I couldn't, and I didn't, and I just kept sharing about it. And recently, right around my 18th birthday, a visitor from your country, a writer, came to my tribe, and he was interviewing us. Well, I didn't know at the time what it meant, but I later found out that he wrote for a very prestigious newspaper, the Washington Post. And I kind of laughed wow. when he said that, <laughs> the Washington Post. He said, well, he said, um, in a matter of weeks, a couple in Portland, Oregon, happened to read the story. They invited me to apply, and I was accepted for undergraduate work at the University of Portland. And I just looked at him with my mouth hanging open, and I said, you're kidding me. That must have been the happiest day of your life. And he, he paused, kind of turned his head, and he said, well, to be perfectly frank, it was the worst day of my life. And I said, what? How is that possible? He said, my family didn't have any money. We had no resources to send me, you know, their son off to follow a dream, to fly to America, to become a doctor. It was ridiculous. He said, and with the opportunity being presented to me, you know, and for me to feel how much I wanted that and how far away from my reality it was, it was unbelievably heartbreaking. He said that night, he said, I did the only thing I knew to do. He said, amidst my tears, I got down on my hands and my knees, and I prayed for a miracle. And Marcia, that's what I got. Four families stepped forward. Each one made a commitment one year apiece to feed me, to house me, to love me, to basically be my family while I was so far from home. Well, I was a puddle hearing the story, actually, and when I stopped sniffling, you know, he spoke one more time. He said one last thing. He said, but it wasn't until today when I heard you speak so passionately about dreams that I actually got clear about what I need to do. I need to become a doctor, of course. That's my dream. But then I must go home. I must go back to my tribe, back to my family, back to my people, and be the example that no dream is impossible. And the amazing things that can happen when we gather together as a tribe I'm a puddle. I'm a puddle. So what I would say is don't believe your own story. Don't project your worst fears and doubts into your dream. And it really, here's the, here's the tip I'll give you. 
in order to master manifestation, you must master the skill of enrollment. Enrollment is when you share your dream, vision, products, services, and ideas in a way that touches and inspires others in a way that will have them want to help you, to join you, to hire you, maybe even to contribute to you. The obstacle called not enough money disappears when you master the skill of enrollment. So, Jen, can I give two different ways please, to do that? Please, please, people... absolutely, because okay, my good. next question was, how? <laughs> how? <laughs> so, I will tell you, I'm going to emphasize again, guys, this is the game changer. And um, your ability, we're, we're always enrolling people. I'm enrolling you in believing in yourself and believing in your dreams. You're enrolling your kids in cleaning up their rooms. You're enrolling your spouse on taking the vacation that you want, you know, on the African safari when what they want to do is, you know, go to the Grand Canyon. <laughs> so we're always enrolling each other. So different than selling, it literally is about this is the key skill of a visionary. So just a setup, and then I'll get into the process. A visionary has a vision or a big dream, articulates it with clarity so people get it, expresses it with passion so people understand it, and a true visionary inspires other people to join them through this enrollment process. So there's a left-brain approach and a right-brain approach. And, you know, they sort of overlap and dovetail, and you can put together your own hybrid. The left-brain, which I taught for years, as a matter of fact, uh, when I was Jack Canfield's personal coach for a couple of years, Jack brought me into his Train the Trainer program to teach this, and we called it authentic selling. So the enrollment process left-brain is, number one, establish rapport. If people don't like you and trust you, they're not going to number two with you. So this is the likability factor. Be yourself. Be authentic. Be open. Be interested. Be interesting. Establish rapport. Number two, build value. You build value by having a sense of who you're talking to and the old what's in it for them. You build value by asking good questions that will help you understand how, why, what you have is a good fit for the person or the people you're talking to. Number three, you overcome objections. And you overcome objections by doing more of one and two. You establish more rapport. You build more value. That's too expensive as an obstacle goes away when you're delivering more value than what you're charging for. So I love the under-promise and over-deliver mentality. Um, And, you know, people will, you know, they'll say, well, you know, I don't really have the time. If you haven't been really clear about it and you haven't built enough value, people use kind of the simple outs. They often don't return your phone call. Um, I'll talk more about this in a second. So step number four is you secure an agreement. Let's agree what next step are we going to take together. Am I going to come over and show you my products and services? Are you going to hire me for a uh, you know, a complimentary or an initial trial run? Um, are you going to make a phone call for me? If so, by when and when can I follow up with you? Really managing agreements, which are a core building block to the fundamentals of integrity, and integrity is really core to manifestation. Okay, that's how the left brain approach. Right. So once a year, I host a big event called the Wealthy Visionary Conference. Mm-hmm. You can go to wealthyvisionary.com and read about it. 
And it was at that event last year that I came out onto the stage with 500 people in the room, and I realized that in order to start the event off on a high note, I needed to teach people enrollment. It was like the very first thing that I did. But when I opened my heart and I breathed and I centered and I emptied to get really present with my audience, the rituals of preparing to really be a messenger, that's a whole other topic we can talk about, Um, but when I could feel the audience, what they needed was to learn enrollment, but it was a whole different approach to enrollment. And I call this the right brain or more the heart-centered approach. Number one, you have to connect to what you care about. If you don't care about it, why should I? And why should anyone else? Connect, and you have to open your heart and really feel that this matters to you. It's meaningful to you. It's important. You genuinely care. And you care enough to, number two, communicate it clearly. So many people are not able to articulate with clarity, which also has to do with being succinct, which means you put a period at the end of the sentence, like that. <laughs> period. <laughs> and number three is you make a compelling invitation for people to join you. Now, on one hand, they're very, they're very oh, you know, there's a lot of similarities. You're, you know, you're building relationship and you're building value, but it's a very different energetic. You know, one is a little bit more masculine, one's a little bit more feminine, not necessarily male, female, you know, but the idea of connecting to what you care about and you care enough about it, you honor it enough that you're going to develop a way to speak about it succinctly and clearly, to bring your passion and excitement to it, but not to ramble on like I'm doing (laughs) forever and ever. And then to make a compelling invitation for the person to join you. It's just, uh, so what happened last year at my event was we we generated a million dollars of revenue in the room for and with the participants. People found sponsors, they found clients, they found joint venture partners, because everybody was in this mindset. And you know what? We added one more piece to it that I didn't actually have in the formula, but I did suggest it as part of the upfront agreement, and that was to practice generosity. Mm-hmm. To be generous in your listening, to be generous in your ideas, to be generous in your resources, to just be in the practice of generosity. And at that event, we actually raised $50,000 for the Unstoppable Foundation, which, of course, I know you're a sponsor of as well, mm-hmm. to build schools and villages in Africa. And I truly believe it was because we brought the energy of generosity into the room, not because people were looking at how much money they had in their checkbook, not because that they were looking at how busy their calendar were, but because they went into their hearts and they got in touch with what really mattered to them. And from that place, they were compelling, inspiring, and generous with themselves and each other. So I would say Mm -hmm. to everyone listening, regardless of what's going on in the economy or even in your own personal checking account, you have greater resource. We all do greater resources than we typically tap into. So our ability to bring our hands to our heart, to open to divine inspiration, to really tap into something so much greater and grander than us, and then to give from that place allows us to heal what I call the fatal flaw of I'm not enough. Mm. From I'm not enough, I I have to have scarcity thinking. From I'm not enough, no matter what I put in, there's a hole in the bucket and it's always going to leak out. 
you know, from I'm not enough, I can't give generously to you because I'm worried there's not enough for me. Mm. But it's a story, and it's, you know, that goes back to reptilian brain when we were worried about whether we would have enough food. The truth of it is you are essence and whole, you are perfect, you are a divine child of God, you are priceless and precious, and when you heal that hole in the dike or that hole in the bucket, dear Liza, dear Liza, (laughs) and you get that you are whole and you are perfect, not only does everything become more meaningful and richer, but now we have way more resources to contribute and serve as well as to to, uh, generate and receive. Wow. Incredible, incredible information for for entrepreneurs and, and people who are just dreaming alike. So, you know, the, the, the right brain and the left brain version of what Marsha just shared is life, not just business. Um, and, it, you know, the enrollment process for both of these, it can, ha- can have a deep conversation with a loved one, a deep conversation with a partner, a deep conversation with an employee, you know, or a deep conversation with a checkout person at, at the store. Um, it's, it's about, to me, what you're describing is about bringing a level of presence and awakening and consciousness to our everyday conversations, as well as our business conversations. It's really moving and amazing and intelligent stuff, uh, Marsha. Beautiful. Thank you. you know, and it, it, it can be so insidious that we don't even know that if what we want is a meaningful life, we need to create meaningful moments. Yeah. And that is about presence. And I, 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 you know, lightly call this the practice of everyday enlightenment. Mm. More time in the light with your dreams, with your love, with your gratitude, your appreciation. Less time in the dark being hijacked by your doubts and fears and other people's doubts and fears. And then living a virtuous life. And the highest virtue is integrity. Mm. And integrity at a soul life, at a soul level, is more time in the light. <laughs> you know, so I think this practice of catching ourselves in the in the act. You know, I have to remind myself that consciousness is about choice, yeah. and that I get to choose moment by moment how I am going to be part of this creation. At the dreaming at the highest level is let's remember we were created to create, and it is our God given birthright. Whatever God is to you, our God given birthright to create a life of joy, love, and abundance. So when we get caught in our story, we sometimes we become so overly identified with our wound, you know, what happened to us as a child, mm-hmm. and we forget that that's just part of the initiation process, and the journey home is about going through the story, reclaiming the lost parts through that were, you know, sacrificed through the wound, but reclaiming them now as a more mature vehicle, more mature adult, and coming back to essence. And then everything in life changes, because instead of your you know, your soul being hijacked by your ego, now your ego is in service to your soul. And that's a completely different way of living your life. So, you know, I know we have a lot of messengers and speakers and authors and and entrepreneurs, obviously, listening to this. I would say about your story, live, you know, been to hell, live to tell about it, transmuted it into love, must be here to share about it, Mm. teach about it, speak about it. Mm. Your life was not arbitrary. You were given everything, including the wound that you were given, in order for you to become the extraordinary person you are. 
You want to know what your purpose is? Look at your wound. But if you're so identified with your story that you think that that's all there is, well, then it's time to wake up to a new level of consciousness and to start to really value and appreciate the story, but to start to separate from it through soul work, symbol work, through therapy, through reading, through the Extraordinary Healing with the Master series, which is all about consciousness. So it doesn't get much better than this. I mean, you're bringing the smorgasbord of everything I could possibly need to wake up to a more conscious life. And I would say, if you're not happy, you're not living your highest level of consciousness. Wow. So, so is there a way to use these wounds, like use these stories? I mean, you know, it, it, to me, it's a, it, I had a recent experience where I noticed a groove, a rut, if you will, a, a neural pathway that I've developed around fear. And I jumped deep into the neural pathway and didn't know I was there and was confused. And then yeah. I, I, I kind of, um, I, I had some coaching. I actually did a call. Um, and, you know, I, I'm served as much by these calls as my audiences. I did a call and I was like, wow. And I got to see the rut. <laughs> I got to see that I go there a lot. And I got to see that I actually had a story around it, even though I am someone who teaches about not going into the story. So, Oh, me too. <laughs> so, so, yeah, so how do we use those moments, Marcia? How do we take life now and, you know, use the, the patterns and the beliefs and the, the limiting beliefs that we've created through the events and traumas that happen? What's the next step to acknowledging them and moving through them? Yes, I, I love this. Um, so let me give you a couple of simple examples and then a, a specific business one that completely turns somebody's business on their ear. Um, and let, let me just feel into kind of where to start. So our, our ability to develop the capacity to witness ourselves and aware ego, to get outside of the story, you know, that's hopefully what a lot of us are doing with this work so that we can catch ourselves sooner in our patterns and that the recovery time is faster. And, you know, so we spend more time awake, aware, and making conscious choices. I think that's part of what this everyday enlightenment I was referencing is about. Hmm. So I, um, I was go- I've always had short hair, Mia Farrow short hair, because my story was, I mean, like I said, I'm going to start with an innocuous, simple example and build from there. So hang in there with me, guys. So I always had very short hair because my story was I had really ugly hair. Now, where did I get that story from? I saw a picture of myself as a child, probably nine years old, where my mother literally did put the bowl on my head to cut my hair, and my bangs were zigzaggy, and I looked like like Dr. Spock from Star Trek. And the few times that I tried to grow it out, she didn't really know how to do hair. So it looked like Bozo. And that was it. I cut it off when I was young, and I've worn it short my entire life. So recently I moved to L.A. I moved to Beverly Hills, and I've always coveted long hair. And people have always said to me, why don't you grow your hair? And I'm like, my hair won't grow. It grows out, not down. That was like my big joke line, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, I, uh, I was getting my, my hair is a little bit long, and, I, and somebody said to me in the hair salon, have you ever heard of a keratin treatment where we straighten your hair? I'm like, what are you talking about? My hair is so short. And they said, well, it would make your hair a little longer, and you could see if you want to grow your hair out. And I, I remember their mouth was moving, but I, it took me a minute to, like, grok the words because growing my hair out was something that I had never thought about doing. Well, now my hair is down past my shoulders, and I have exquisitely 
beautiful hair. <laughs> yeah, baby. <laughs> I have beautiful hair. I have long, dark, curly hair that makes me feel more feminine, which is part of what I'm longing for more in my life. I flip it around. It changes how I clo- how I dress. It changed what I'm eating because I feel sexier. I mean, it had, it's had a big impact. But it led me to a question. What other stories do I have about myself? And the next one I found was I had a story, because I'm, I'm quite petite, I, was, I had a story that I was weak, that I was physically not strong. So I took up kickboxing, and I'm at my gym with red boxing gloves on. I'm 4'11", and I'm like whacking away at a six foot four guy, and they call me the Tasmanian devil. <laughs> so now I'm walking through life going, I wonder what other stories I have. So when I hear something come out of my mouth, if I don't know it's true, I've developed a practice of being curious and suspicious that maybe that's a story, too. And it's really impacting how I'm dating now because I'm really calling in my beloved and my soulmate. It's really changing my beliefs around that. Okay, now let me skip to a business story. Cool. So um, a, a man called me up, and he said, um, he, he said, I want to hire you for one day. Coming to my home for one day is $15,000. It's not something people that just do for the hell of it. And I find when people invest that kind of money, they, they actually take what you're saying as very serious and, and you often do it. So that's, that's part of like the value of it. So he flies in from Florida, and he's, I have his permission to tell the story. So he's a realtor, and he's very successful. And he said to me, I want to be a speaker. And I said, great, what do you want to speak about? And he said, I don't know. I said, well, first rule of speaking is you have to have a message. And I said to him, I said, write out ten things that you think, know, or believe. Ten things that are important to you. So he writes out the ten things, and he hands them to me, and I take a breath, you know, and then I hand them back to him, and I say, read them out loud. And he reads them out loud, and he said, they're pretty boring, huh? I said, they're not yours. I said, I said to him, I'm jaded about jargon. You know? Let's find a new and fresh way. Let's find your message because I don't know where to look. I said, tell me about your childhood. He said, well, what do you want to know? I said, tell me how you were wounded. He said, you mean because I was beat up on the playground and bullied as a child? I said, why, did, why were you beat up and bullied? He said, because everybody thought I was crazy. I said, well, where did that come from? He goes, well, I always had crazy ideas. I said, like what? He said, well, I found an old mimeograph machine. That's how old he was, like an old copy machine. I cleaned it up. I fixed it up. I put it in my little red wagon, and I pulled it around to the different stores in my neighborhood, and people would pay me a couple of pennies for copies. He's, and he said, but everybody <laughs> thought that I was crazy because I had all kinds of crazy ideas. And I said, and who was the loudest voice that you were crazy? And he said, my father. He said, I was punished for my crazy ideas, and I was embarrassed, and I was belittled for them. And I said, well, now you're a successful realtor. Have you done anything crazy lately? He said, well, I did buy this party rental company where I get I like beer kegs and hoses and things, and I rent them out to my realtors and friends, and I said, how crazy is it? And he said, you mean to what tune? I said, yeah. He said, $1.8 million. And I just kind of looked at him and rolled my eyes a little and gave a smirk. I picked up my iPhone. I said to him, I am not texting. I am checking my GoDaddy app because I know what your brand is. And wait for it. Here it is. Good. It's yours. Crazy Brilliant 
innovation.com. You're the guy that's going to teach innovation is not about thinking outside the box. It's about blowing up the box. You're the guy that's going to go in and teach people how to dream bigger and tap into their imagination and have crazy, wild ideas, some that might make their companies, you know, hundreds and thousands or millions of dollars. You're the guy that's going to give away the crazy, brilliant award to people like Tony Shea because we all know it's crazy to try to sell shoes like Zappos online. His eyes filled up with tears. He said to me, I can't believe that you took my source of great, my greatest source of shame and now showed me how I'm going to be able to use it as a gift in service and healing to others. This is what I want to speak to the world about. And I said to him, been to hell, lived to tell about it, transmuted it into love, must be here to teach about it. So we can use our wound to further understand who we really are and why we are really here. To live on purpose requires a spiritual practice, so you hear the wisdom beneath the ego. Number two, to discover and know what's unique and special about you, formed by anything that you would celebrate as a success or anything you would grieve as a loss, all of that made you uniquely you. And finally, to be of service with it. That's what living on purpose is all about. So don't, don't underestimate or judge or critique or criticize your wound. It's an important ally and teacher. That, that is such an amazing story. And, and you know, um, I love this notion about being curious and suspicious about mm. the patterns. Um, and <laughs> and the, the idea that the, the, because the curious and suspicion will reveal what the wounds are will reveal the limiting beliefs around the wounds and will reveal the opportunity that you just so brilliantly gifted us with. I mean, this is a profound gift, folks, what, what Marcia just gave to us, a profound gift that the wound is here to serve us. The wound is here to, um, to ignite within us something that couldn't happen without it. And we can That's exactly. And if you really, if we go to the, you know, essence and the spiritual level, you got the perfect wound for you to fulfill upon your purpose and your destiny. And, when you go to being suspicious and curious, the practice is no judgment. Right. Like really, be an investigative reporter. I want to know. Show me. Reveal to me. Allow me to see even more, so that I can become a, a, a more whole part of the creation and really use my life in service to others. You know, wow. and and no judgment is is just incredibly important. It's a bit of a theme that that's been happening through these the calls this season. There's always a few threads of themes. So how can we stop the practice of judgment? Judgment is a very keen practice for many of us. Well, you know, the practice, I think, so for me, anytime you want to change a behavior or develop a skill, and, and we have a whole module of this in the 10-part program that we're going to offer people, the home study course. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have it on finding your purpose and living with greater integrity, integrity, and 30 years of my doubt removal work is all in this home study package right. that we put together. And most important, a practice, when you want to develop a skill, like dreaming bigger or being, um, you know, living with greater integrity or being more generosity. You want to develop a skill or change a behavior, we use a personal practice. So basically it starts by, that's why this awareness is so important, it starts by catching yourself in the act. 
So it's almost like, wait a minute, what just happened there? You put on that proverbial pause button and you're like, you kind of slow it down. So for example, let's say that you're harsh on yourself. You have a lot of self-judgment we're talking about. Um, I call that the doubter run amok syndrome. <laughs> you know, the doubter is useful, but if it's completely taking over your life, it's going to immobilize you and it's going to have you live a small contained life. So we want to put it in its appropriate seat. So when the doubter comes in and says to me, you can't do that. What are you thinking? You're too old. Nobody's going to care what you have to say, and it's off on a tangent. What I try to do is put on the pause button, take a few breaths. I bring my hands to my heart, and I say something kind to myself. Like That could be a simple practice. Now, the protocol of having the doubter voice quiet is more of a ritual. It's taking some time, maybe lighting a candle, boundering, say you're going to give yourself 10 minutes, you're going to open a journal, you're going to consciously hear from the doubter. Your doubter will give you your list of obstacles. And as I said, every obstacle is either a belief or requires a strategy or both. And sometimes the strategy is a practice because you're wanting to develop a new behavior. So I'm talking a little fast, but I promise you we can slow this down and you can create a practice for anything you want to change, create, or develop in yourself. It starts by catching yourself in the act, taking a moment, shift its behavior modification at a simple level, and trying something new. So when I hear that my daughter's gone crazy, if I'm not in a place where I have much time, instead I'll find, I actually gave my doubter and my judgment part of myself a new job description. I turned it into a coach, which means first it has to give me validating feedback before it can give me constructive feedback. <laughs> oh, my God, that's brilliant. That is brilliant. I still want the constructive feedback. But, you know, sometimes that voice, that inner critic can be so harsh that it just takes us out at the knees. So, you know, if you can catch it and you can modulate it or you can choose in the moment something kind, but then don't skip the step of actually hearing from it. When we ignore the doubter, it either gets louder or it gets so quiet that it unconsciously sabotages us. And, you know, I will repeat, the, the number one way that we sabotage our dreams is by projecting our doubts and fears into the dream. We do that with our judgments and our critic as well. And nothing activates those parts. There's sometimes like, there's like the trilogy, you know, the judge, the critic, and the doubter. Uh, there's like this, you know, this whole team that is trying to get you to stop, stop, stop. So nothing activates that more than lack of integrity. So the way, the overarching way to develop greater muscle is to do what you say. And when you're human and you screw up, you say something and you don't keep your word or leave something unsaid or undone, if you screw up, clean it up as quickly as possible. And because if you go into judging yourself on top of that, now you've got layers on top of layers and it just takes longer and a little more work to unlayer and unhinge the entire complex. So the simple practice really is this everyday enlightenment. Spend more time doing, first of all, say no more to the things that you have a choice. When someone asks you to do something, if you don't have to do it and you don't want to do it, Consider saying no more or no thank you. I'll teach you how to do that in the home study course. Clear away some clutter. Schedule more things in that you love, your dreams, your passion. Don't compromise the dreams right out of the gate. Open up to possibility. My two favorite words for opening to bigger dreams are what else? What else would be possible? What else would bring you more joy? What else would have you be more in alignment with your heart and soul? And you open up to the bigger dream. And by the way, half the people that I talk to know what their dreams are and they need help with strategy and half 
the people I talk to don't know what their dreams are. We've been so mired in reality and so busy living from our clocks and calendars that many of us don't even know what our dreams are, much less how to accomplish them. And although reality is an important part of the mix, you have to know where you are in order to design the strategy for where you want to go. The question is, what has been realistic cost you? If you're overly realistic, it can cost you your passion and dreams. We talked about apoptosis. It can cost you years off your life. And at the end of your life, it can cost you tremendous regret. So my prayer is that you'll learn to dream again. Or you'll, you know, you'll take your big dreams. Where big dreams or long-term dreams die is when we just plop them on a to-do list. Learn how. Allow me, if you will, to be your coach, your mentor, your guide, showing you how to take the big dreams, break them down into projects and strategies and then teach you how to master the skill of enrollment, which can have the obstacle called not enough money go away, which can allow you to get a a lot more done faster and with greater ease, and by the way, have a more meaningful life, because meaning is about connecting to what matters to you and what you love, and being part of something, making a contribution, being of service, you know, and belonging to something. So this is your opportunity to create a new dream, to get greater traction or more clarity on the dreams that you have, and absolutely to move forward and get serious traction in producing results in making those dreams come true. Mm, Wow, beautiful. So I I have a final question about service. And um, I know it's kind of, uh, you and I both know that it's kind of the secret ingredient um, to living a fulfilled life and to being even being successful. So can you speak a little bit about service? Yeah, uh, anything in particular about it? Yeah, well, you know, a lot of people think they don't have time for service, that it's something that, you know, once I get successful, then I'll be of service. And, and you know, understanding the, that service is, is not just something you do, it's, it's something you are. I love that. You know, I mean, I, growing up in my, as a child, I remember my father didn't trust people who volunteered Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> people meet my meet my dad and I love my father, but God bless him, I hope he's not listening. People meet my father and they say, Wow, you really have done good work on yourself <laughs> <laughs> You know, I mean the difference between happiness and meaning, there's been a lot of studies about this. I you know, I'm writing a new book on meaning and I've been researching it. There's a lot even like at the Harvard Business Review level that they make a distinction between happiness and fulfillment. And happiness tends to be when we're, we're doing something for ourselves. And fulfillment comes when we're starting to do something for and with other people. And um, fulfillment sustains and happiness doesn't. So I would say, you know, a, a, a life of service, it could be it, the smallest act of kindness can be an act of service. I mean, for a long time, I kept saying I'm going to the soup kitchen, and I never got there. So I thought, okay, you know what? That's not the place for me. Otherwise, I would have gone. But finding ways to contribute and to be, and, you know, I'm on the board for the Make-A-Wish Foundation, and I'm now on, a, on the board for a new organization called Playground of Dreams that's working to get kids off of Skid Row. I think for each of us to find a way to contribute that feels meaningful and feels right. Um, and, you know, maybe for you it has to even be easy in, in order for it to happen because your life is busy. Um, you know, and I, I think it's wonderful to contribute financially, but I will tell you it's not quite the same feeling for me uh, to, as opposed to when somebody just asks for help. 
Because service can be somebody just says, you know, can I bounce something off of you? Can I get your opinion on something? To have a service mentality. Um, and it's very different than having a, a servant mentality. This is mm, not about, you. Uh, you know, I, 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 you know, I don't know that everybody makes that distinction, but for me, the difference has to do with joy. That when I'm giving and I'm contributing and I'm being of service from a place that really does light me up and fulfill me and is meaningful and is joyful for me, even if it's in a tough situation, uh, you know, with sick children or people that are dealing with challenging situations, you know, that might, there's something in my heart that says yes. Then I know that to you know to follow that course, and it's really true for me. So I, I you know I just really do believe that this giving and receiving is all the same. So when we give, we you know we open the channel, and there is no other, and there is no one way, and then the other. And I used to even say you know left hand up, right hand down when you were in a group circle, sending and receiving. And then at one point I thought. I don't think that's how it works. I think it's just all happening, you know. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> right. you know, that if I can be an open channel, open vessel stuff, so I can be generous and in service and contribute and help other people. I'm part of that great cycle of life called creation. Mm-hmm. And for me, you you know, anything that you're saying no to, you know, you're you're closing out. And that doesn't mean that you shouldn't have boundaries and, you know, and discernment. I think that's an important skill as well, but I guess the last thing I would say about it is to follow your heart. Follow your heart. And the more generous you are with life, the more generous life is with you. And what a wonderful way to live. <laughs> Amen and hallelujah. <laughs> <laughs> well, 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 thank you, uh, Marcia, for um, contributing so profoundly to us today. Um, my heart feels open. My mind is, is awash in opportunity. Um, I can feel the the whole show um, uh, being inspired that there's more, that there are more possibilities available to all of us. And you've given us some both inspirational and practical, um, wonderful things that we can do and ways that we can be in order to really live who we truly are meant to be. So just thank you so much. I'm so grateful. Oh, I loved it. I had a ball with you. Anytime. <laughs> and thank everyone so much for being part of today's show. And as, as always, I'm just so honored and, and privileged that you've chosen to hang out with us. Um, I, I just adore and love you all. You are such an important part of our community, and this community um, contributes to every show, and every show contributes to changing this planet through you. So thank you. Thank you to your contribution. Thank you to your contribution, Marsha. And uh, until next time, uh, you know, live in your light. Much love, everyone. Bye now. Bye. (laughs) And remember, if you'd like to join us for any of our live shows, just register absolutely free at hwtmpodcast.com. That's H. WTM as in Healing with the Masters podcast.com. Come and join us. Just register for the current live season. <laughs>